0: Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, lifestyle editor for the Peninsula Pulse, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, content
1: editor for the Pulse.
0: Miles, let's check in. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Andrew. That's good. That's good. Got any uh, anecdotes or stories from the last couple of weeks since we last spoke?
1: Oh man, you're you're pushing me here. I, I can tell you that I, trying to find this data for this podcast, I realize I have way too many windows open on my computer. <laughs> That's a good anecdote. Are you a, a tab hoarder? Do you I you keep am. All your I, tabs open i keep way too much open because i'm always trying to multitask which is as any like productivity study will tell you it isn't make you more productive right and if you're using chrome after you get like
0: 10 tabs open your computer just completely tanks does it does slow down do anything yep. my dad is a tab hoarder he doesn't understand bookmarks so he'll keep every single thing open he'll have like 150 tabs at one time and if like he comes over and he's like my computer's not working help I'll go in and I'll close all those tabs and I'll be like, I'm never going to find that again. <laughs> it's the internet. Just look
1: up what you were looking yeah. for. Use the Google. Right. Use you know the who Google. else is really bad with the, the the tab hoarding? You ever look at Dave's screen? No. So mine's bad and it may, gives me anxiety. And then I go look at Dave's computer screen and I just want to throw up He's 400 tabs open at all times.
0: You know, I have actually seen the, the window movement. I've come over to his computer before and just seen him like almost as if you were like sifting through a hoarder's bedroom he's moving windows <laughs> yes. out of the way trying yeah. to uncover so i get that but dave uh, at least when he when he leaves the office like when he goes on vacation cleans his desk closes all of his tabs he's yeah his corner of. gets clean twice a year it's yeah. kind of nice right which is you know two times more a year than anybody else's desk <laughs> this is true <laughs> So let's uh, let's jump into a couple of things. First off, we're going to talk about, I guess, Door County's favorite person right now, which is A.J. Dillon. Uh, we had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Really great episode that you, uh, you interviewed him for. And uh, not only has he been vacationing up here, but he's been doing a lot of other stuff, too, getting involved in some different organizations. Famously on the podcast, he said that he wanted to get the key to Door County and it uh, looks like he actually got it.
1: Yeah, last night at the Destination Door County's annual meeting, AJ Dillon was in attendance and the new CEO of Destination Door County, Julie Gilbert, just took over the position Monday and one of her first tasks was to uh, bestow upon AJ the key to the door. And AJ was really gracious, gave a brief speech about how he loves Door County and how great it is to be welcomed here and to finally achieve this dream. Of the key, I, he might have to retire now. Honestly, I mean, he's that's. I don't know what else you can accomplish. Yeah, how much
0: further can you go up from from that? <laughs> yeah. What is what does the key to the door actually do? Is it a skeleton key to all of the businesses, or, or
1: what is it? It it does nothing,
0: Andrew. Absolutely no, it, nothing. It's <laughs>
1: got a, like if you were to if.
0: You got pulled over by a cop and you showed him the key. You'd probably be let go, right? Yeah, or your Packers ID, probably. (laughs) Yeah, either one of those. If you're A.J. Dillon, probably just roll the window down. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But I'd assume that the key came with, you know, political powers or something. Like, can he make some decisions now?
1: I mean, knowing the way some of our towns operate, I I think he probably could. (laughs) He could get his way onto any board just by showing the key. he might. It is funny, though. I actually got messages afterward because people obviously who aren't here or weren't at the event saw posts about it, you know, because AJ was really gracious. He stuck around for everybody who wanted to get a photo with him. And he's been that way all throughout, you know, whenever it was that he first came to Door County and started falling in love with the place. But he's he's not shy about a lot of people. There are other famous people up here who understandably don't want to be like bothered all the time and, and don't make a big deal about being here. But he's just been like, yeah, here I am at the AC Tap or here I am at the Bayside. I got pictures with the bartender and stuff like that it remains to be seen how long he can do this before he gets really sick of us door county people just talking about his love of door county calling him on the phone but, having him come do more events those yeah, kind of things yeah, yeah. i mean I, he'll probably get asked for everything he's gonna have to start turning stuff down but you know some people were saying like oh why does he get the key just because he's a packer and now he gets this key to door, door county like what well, first of all it's, it's not a real thing it's not it's not some expensive honor but also you know it's great publicity for Door County and you know he's he's probably given the county hundreds of thousands if not maybe a million dollars worth of free media attention that you know because he wears Door County stuff on his interviews and press conferences and tweets about it and posts about it so it's really been it's just cool to see a guy a young guy come up here and just be like hey I love this little rural small town place in Wisconsin and I mean it helps that he's engaged to somebody with a connection to Door County as well right it is going to be maybe the biggest betrayal if when the Packers win
0: the Super Bowl and they ask A.J. Dillon what he's going to do now, if he says he's going to Disney World instead <laughs> of
1: coming to Door County. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've we got our eyes on you, A.J. We'll we'll wait for your Super Bowl win. Well, for his sake, if if in February he says he wants to come to Door County, I'll, I'll probably tell him. Actually, no, you might want to wait. Yeah, wait a little bit. <laughs> um, wait for things to come
0: back open a little bit.
1: But he was also, a, a friend of mine texted me last night who's, Kids got to hang out with him before he went to the Destination Door County event. He went to the Door County YMCA in Surgeon Bay, hung out and and played with some of the kids there and, and did some contests with them and signed some stuff for a bunch of Door County kids, which is phenomenal. And he, you know, just talking to him, I got a brief chance to talk to him and his fiance's family before the key was bestowed upon him. Just a really nice guy. Um, The genuine chill guy who fits in with Door County. You know, when he first told me that he was coming on the podcast, I was like, oh, great interview for you because I don't know anything about
0: sports or who AJ Dillon is. But then like two days after the episode went up, I saw him uh, streaming video games on Twitch. And I was like, oh, man, I could have totally done that interview. It would have been a very different interview. But I saw that he was trying to collect all of the cheese in Skyrim, which to give you an analogy that you would understand, it would be like collecting baseball card packaging. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you've got something there that's interesting it's not the point of the game but it is you know it is something that you can hang your hat on i guess so that's that's what he's been doing you can
1: identify with that aspect
0: yes yes i I appreciate the the video game streaming so we've got ourselves a new ambassador in aj dylan uh you mentioned that this happened at the destination door county meeting luncheon dinner spectacular that took place last night how did that go down
1: uh, so Destination Door County had postponed their annual meeting to allow the new CEO hire to be there, which a wise decision. And so Julie Gilbert got her first introduction to a lot of folks in Door County last night. Um, They're probably about 125 to 150 people at Mr. G's ballroom. And you know, I think she made a, a really good first impression, which was good to see because I was on the committee that hired her. So if she made a bad first impression, I'd be like, oh no. But no, she, she did a, a great job. We'll probably have her on the podcast here. Pretty soon, once she settles into the county and gets a, a better read on everything, and she'll walk right into an expanded budget for Destination Door County with the increased room tax next year. Now, they won't necessarily realize all that money right away because it, it comes in throughout the year. So it's really probably a bigger impact second half or even 2023 as that those dollars come in. But, you know, she's also stepping into a changing direction for the organization as they continue this shift to be more of destination management versus pure destination marketing. and you know, she's going to step in and now have to guide that, which is, I think, a relatively, I shouldn't say relatively easy. I don't want to like lower the bar here too much. There's a reason there's a new CEO there. So there definitely is a challenge, but there's also a lot of low-hanging fruit in Door County in terms of outreach and communicating with municipalities. And all that money means a lot of great things you can do for locals and visitors. So it's going to be, you know, in, in many ways, it's an ideal situation. Just like when Jack Moneypenny stepped down to, the, to helm Destination Door County in 2007, when they were going from no room tax to suddenly having room tax. So you, you ha- basically have nowhere to go but up because your budget just transforms. The whole organization transforms. This next hire is kind of stepping into a similar situation with a little bit more of a challenge in that in 2007, it was, hey, heads and beds, just get people here. We needed the tourism. Everybody was desperate for it. Now it's, hey, we want the money, but let's not ruin our backyard. So it's a little more complex. The messaging is more complex, but I think uh, she's the right person to do it. Right. It's not so much
0: about like, nobody's coming here. How do we get people to come here? That's kind of an uphill battle. But coming into a position where it's like, hey, we have people here. People come here you know, in droves. How do we manage that now? It's it's a different type of challenge, but I, I would agree that it's probably not as challenging as like starting from scratch. How do we get people to know about this place?
1: Yeah. And, you know, we have a, f- a fickle community and, and we have the, the concerns are real. And I don't mean to downplay it though it's like i i get anxiety driving to work each day and every time i see a new driveway on the side of a road and a new house going i'm like oh more development more people pretty soon that fist is going to be gone or this is instead of a farm it's going to be a subdevelopment. you know all those kind of things i get that same anxiety i want us to control that and be smart about it i also realize that like hey at one point my family was new here and at one point 90 of us were new here so we all did that too so it's hard to say like well no stop now but we we also as much as some people would say like well we have enough or we have too much you know in two years from now if it drops ten percent they're also going to be the same people saying we got to create jobs for young people to take care of me so we are a very weird hypocritical group of people yeah it's hard
0: because you if your thought process is like there's way too many people here we need to pump the brakes if you pump the brakes too hard then you're going to start losing all the stuff that you you know maybe wanted to see less people at so it's hard to get into a restaurant you know, in the summer maybe, or your your wait time is an hour. If you pump the brakes too hard, all of a sudden that business can't stay open and then you can't get into the restaurant at all. So yeah. it's a, a delicate balance. And there, there's still a lot of discussion, I think, to be had about where we are in that process. Yeah. Are we, you know, past the point of no return? Are we not quite at our capacity? Are we in the middle? Like, where are we right now, I think is the, the big question. I know a lot of people have been talking about it this year and last year with COVID, but it's going to continue to be a conversation for the next couple of years
1: and you know what a lot of people say it's really hard these are difficult problems these are in that parlance of we have door county has first world problems right like hey we have a housing shortage we have an employee shortage we have concern about our environment but unlike most people who have a litany of problems to address as a community we also have resources like we have the resource we can't complain that much we have a great willing volunteer base people who care we have you know take destination door county as they address these problems, they have a huge budget. They have a huge room tax and a successful tourism economy to draw from to decide how to address those problems. A lot of places are just desperate for money to address a problem. And they have to go and apply for state or federal grants to try and do anything or to try and provide housing. Like we have, we have communities that are engaged with these problems. You know, I wasn't deep into the community when I lived in the city of Chicago, but in some of the neighborhoods I lived in, like the problems they were trying to solve was homelessness like severe homelessness. And this is not to say that we don't have that here, but like that is just such a more difficult problem. There was gun violence and there were mothers marching and sitting on street corners in my neighborhood, like protesting and trying to get people to pay attention to the shootings that were happening in these uh, impoverished neighborhoods. Like we don't have those problems. So I almost want to, sometimes i like, want to say to people like, just shut up and get to work. Just do the work. This isn't that hard, you know? So- Sorry, I went on a little rant there, but I think we have this incredible opportunity to actually address these problems and most people don't get the opportunity to address them. They're just stuck in them. So.
0: Right. This is going to be a great episode to pull just little sound bites out from your from your side <laughs> of it. We've got uh, Door County is a fickle community and uh, shut up and do the work. Yeah. Those are great. We should give you the key to Door County, Miles. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hang those quotes up in your office. So let's talk about the community then. Uh, we've got a couple things, a couple different towns doing a couple different things. But before we get into that... What's going on with COVID? I thought we were done with COVID, Miles. Yeah, COVID's gone. What are you talking
1: about? I thought it was gone since the beginning of this year. (laughs) No, I mean, well, there's a couple of disconcerting things. This week's issue, Kevin Nazi, writes a little bit about COVID's spreading in white-tailed deer now. And there's actually some really concerning information. And it's very early in this, but it appears that COVID spreads pretty rapidly within the white-tailed deer population. And there are concerns about how that might spread back to humans and how that might lead to more variants of covid I've only sort of started reading into this over the last couple of days when when Kevin brought it up and seen some other news reports. But that is um, what epidemiologists I've, I've read have said the The problem that presents is if it is most viruses don't spread to wild animals. So and then back to humans. But if this is the case that it's spreading to wild animals they are saying, our ability to eliminate this, like we've eliminated polio and other viruses, is going to be either not possible or much more difficult if it is actually spreading amongst other animals too. Right? Can you can you get COVID from a deer, like from deer meat? I don't, not from deer meat. Yeah, but well, I shouldn't say that. I'm I'm not an expert on this. Like I said, just starting to check it out, but. There have been some warnings about advising hunters to wear a mask while dressing a deer. Is that the phrasing you use? Dressing a deer? <laughs> yes. yes. Because of some concerns about like how this might be spread. This sounds very
0: serious. I'm trying not to make a joke. But when you talk about the deers getting COVID, it is... <laughs> kind of wild yeah to think about can the deer wear mask can we, can we <laughs> just to try to jump in front of, i'm sorry i shouldn't be joking about covid in any circumstance but the deer the deer have covid now so all beds are off
1: yeah it's pretty uh, again uh, very early in my knowledge of this so i i, I cannot pretend to, to speak as an expert but it is another development otherwise um there's also obviously concerns with the case rates going up in just a pure case counts. and the one thing I would say, and it's it's not that you ignore those altogether because that is an indication of spread, but it's also I think it's important for people to understand that we a COVID case today does not mean the same thing as a COVID case a year ago or when this epidemic first began. You had A, because a lot of the cases are, if, if they are people who are vaccinated, they're just not as serious. So you may test positive. It may limit like how you want to move and who you want to expose it to, but it's not this, if you're vaccinated, it almost certainly won't send you to a hospital and almost definitely will not kill you. That's a much different disease than the one we originally started with. So the vaccines have changed. They they really do change the the, the ground rules for how we think about what it means to, to have a COVID case. Now, I still don't want it, right? There's another aspect of it where, yes, case counts are higher, but you can't just go, look, they're just as high as they were in November of last year or close to as high as they were in November of last year. Because November of last year, we didn't have the vaccines and we weren't moving about. And very few people were going indoors or, you know, football games were being played without a stadium so or without a crowd. So now, in large part, we've returned to all those activities. And yet the case counts still aren't as high as they were. They're close to it. But like relative to activity, they're so much lower. As a percent, like, you know, in terms of, does that make sense? Yes. So the, the amount of
0: people out and about and transmitting the disease was much smaller last year. And we still had that high case rate now the people out and about and potentially transmitting is much higher, which would make the percentage of cases much smaller. So it's, it's kind of like, there's a, there's a term in economics that, that deals with this, where it's like, when you look at the numbers they're not necessarily the same thing. So like if 10 people die in 100 people, that's 10%. That's a huge amount. If 10 people die in 1,000 people, it's 1%. So while it's the same amount of people, it's a much lower percentage. Yeah, And that's what this is too. So the the cases- in in a percentage of activity, so to speak. The cases may be the same, but the percentage of people who are actually getting sick compared to the activity level is much smaller.
1: Some additional COVID information though. So yes, the people are getting hospitalized in Door County. And when I talked to Brian Stevens several weeks ago, one of the things he said is, we really don't look at the case counts as much. That's not what we we're monitoring the hospitalizations. And if the case counts are really high, but we're still talking about one person every couple of weeks or, or one or two people at a time, that's still in control. We can still operate our facility. If we're starting to get like 10 cases at a time, that makes you start to go, okay, do we have to stop doing procedures? Do we have to yeah. limit visitors? 10 hospitalizations like that. at a time. 10 hospitalizations. Right. Because that was the big thing we were talking
0: about last year. The other part of the discussion is keeping the, the cases low. I mean, people were talking about keep the cases low, but that wasn't necessarily what we were doing, right? We were trying to keep hospitalizations low so that everything could continue to run and hospitals weren't overwhelmed. Yes. So even though we have the same case number right now or we're close to it, because we don't have the same hospitalizations, things aren't as dire, right? Because the other thing we talked about was it's not just overwhelming hospitals with COVID cases. It's like, oh, I have COVID, but I can't get treatment because I can't go to the hospital. If a hospital is overrun with COVID cases, they can't, Help other people who don't have COVID. Yeah, like so. It becomes, All the other things. Yeah, it becomes a big deal for everybody else. If you have a heart attack or an aneurysm or an accident, and the hospital's full, you have to go somewhere else. And you know, sometimes those extra minutes are, you know, in Precious. a life or death yeah. situation, they're incredibly important. So with
1: lower hospitalizations, that. Sense of urgency and danger isn't there. Right. And there have been some times like hospitalizations have, you know, over the last couple of months, it's been a little higher at the hospital. You might have three to four patients at a time. Well, I should say two to four at a time in there. But since October 6th, there have been 15 hospitalizations. So over six weeks, that's roughly one every three days. So again, it's not this overwhelming surge. But I think a lot of people still see it as a very scary thing just because they see the peer case counts going up. But in terms of hospitalizations and deaths and illness, I mean, with the vaccinations, it really is something like the flu or maybe not even as bad. Right. To round out our
0: discussion this week, why don't we jump into what some of the municipalities have been up to? Um, Starting off, we've been talking a little bit about Fish Creek and their desire to purchase some more waterfront property, potentially to expand their town dock. And we've also talked about how Fish Creek's proposals have been kind of unpopular lately. So I guess the question was on everybody's mind, what was going to happen with this? There were challenges to this as well, considering that it's not necessarily a, uh, a big public draw, per se. Um, what actually
1: turned out with this? So Town of Gibraltar had an accepted offer to buy the Harbor Holiday Cottages and, and Docks in downtown Fish Creek. About a half an acre of land, but the most valuable part being the, not just the waterfront, but the fact that there's all these docks already there because it's hard to build new docks. 28 boat slips for $3.5 million. Now, compare that to the Redmond property, which was the 200 acres at the top of the hill in Fish Creek surrounding the Fish Creek Park. They had an offer for $2.1 million. That was voted down resoundingly. That was a huge controversy, everyone against it. I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people against it and vehemently against it. Now, this one, the other night on Monday night, this goes to the town voters, unlike a village which can just decide to buy something in a township, the town can have an accepted offer, but then the the voters come and vote on whether or not you're actually going to go through with it. And they said yes by a 114 to 47 count. To me, that was surprising because- Just knowing the history of gibraltar voters and the distrust of town government there and they're i don't want to say like distrust in terms of like they don't trust those individuals as people but i mean distrust in the town government to effectively and efficiently carry out a project and and use that property wisely there's definitely been a dispute there and some distrust there within the community so yeah i was i was pretty surprised they said yes and said yes overwhelmingly. So what was
0: the value proposition for this? What was the pitch that made voters go, yeah, let's do this over something like the Redmond property?
1: Well, there were a couple things that were done differently here. Um the Redmond property, the town had talked about that kind of behind closed doors for years. I knew some murmurings of it but not enough to do any reporting on. And there was nothing active, active like no accepted <laughs> offer. And then they just came out and said, hey, we have this accepted offer to buy the Redmond property. We have all these ideas of what we might want to do with it, but we haven't talked to anybody yet about any of those. So there was no like community buy-in. So there was a lot of like, what's going on with this? Why do we want this? What's what's this price tag? In this case, Fish Creek had done a waterfront master plan back in 2016, got some community input, asked them, what what do you want us to do in terms of, because at that point, they were like, well, this beach property next to our beach might come up. And do we want to look at, you know, Sister Bay has been very successful with their waterfront. Do we want to look at something like that and open up more public waterfront? And so what came out of that plan was the voters or the community input was, hey, if something comes up, we should explore buying it. Doesn't mean like, hey, we should pay any price, we should buy it all, but at least you should explore it. So in this case, they they could lean back and say, you told us to explore buying it, here's what that means, here's that what they're willing to sell it for, and here's what we can buy it for. Now you guys decide. So it's really like basing it off that community input first versus hey, we had this opportunity. I know we've never talked to you about it, but you know, maybe say yes, and then we'll figure it out from there. So it kind of flips that conversation. Does right. that make sense? Yes. And then in terms of like what the public gets out of this purchase, what is that? So with this particular slip, the other bargaining chip they have is there's a couple of the, the long-term bonding that or uh, debt service that they had on the fire station and uh, like park maintenance building is coming off the books next year. They're making their final payment. So that kind of frees up some money. And you could actually just eliminate debt payment and save some money that way. Or the way a lot of communities look at this or a business might look at it is like, okay, now it frees up money for us to make our next investment in ourselves. So then in this case, they get a state loan for this that will cost about... a year. That's what their payments will. They'll have nine payments of $453,000. They will pay for some of that because this will be wrapped into the town dock and the town dock makes money. It's in the black. So the dock will pay a portion of this and then the property itself should bring in about $80,000 a year in revenue from the boat slips. On the six piers, there's 28 slips. So they get revenue from that. That can go toward paying down a debt service as well. So then on the tax rolls, it's $350,000 a year, which is pretty close to the amount that will be coming off the books from those other projects. So for the taxpayers, it's not, it won't be realized as a big jump in the existing taxes. It's still debt service. It's still replacing that special project from before, but you can sell it to taxpayers if you're like, okay, it's not gonna impact you tomorrow and it's gonna be a wash. Now there's other stuff they're gonna pay for. theres They're still figuring out the special assessments downtown, which i my hunch is that they're gonna, those special assessments that we've talked about on the podcast for streetlights and sidewalks, that they're going to find a different way to do that instead of doing the individual property special assessments. That's what it seems like they're leaning is. And then the other option here is, or the other difference here is it's waterfront. And in Door County, generally, taxpayers have said yes to the opportunity to make waterfront public. It's happened in Gills Rock with the Gills Rock Shoreline purchase. It happened in Sister Bay where people have been widely happy with their waterfront purchases there. It's happened in Fish Creek at the beach before Sturgeon Bay with their their waterfront. Despite the fight over what goes there, people have been very happy with making it public. So that, that makes it an easy sell as well, even though it's a very small portion of it. So it's not
0: so much about like, if I'm a Fish Creek resident, it's not so much about how this impacts me. It's about how it doesn't impact me in terms of taxes, but also it keeps something else from going in there.
1: Yeah, right? there and that's a, a great point you just brought up is there's always the what if. If we don't buy it, what happens? And that's usually what a, a town or a village or, or somebody in favor will turn to is like, could that be condos? And now there might be limits. Like some people were like, well, that's going to be a, A hotel door, well, it couldn't be that. But it could be a pretty dense condominium development that privatizes that, that eliminates your opportunity to ever get it in the future. That's why that price tag is so high because if you are a developer looking at buying a parcel like that in the middle of town, you're probably not buying it to build your dream home. The way the Cranes bought the property by Little Sister Resort, which is outside of town, on the water, quiet spot. Downtown, you're gonna try and build condos because that's how you're gonna turn that money over. So if it's 3.5 million, you're gonna try and do some dense condominiums probably 10 to 12 different units, if not more, on that parcel. And then maybe even try to build like a private marina. And that's what happened. Helms Four Seasons, which used to be located on the water in Sister Bay, which formed the genesis of that property, ended up becoming the the heart and soul of Waterfront Park in Sister Bay. What finally drove the village to go, we've got to do this is because the proposal there was to build a pretty large marina that would have kind of over overwhelmed the public beach that was there at the time and so that's when they said all right let's buy this and take that option off the table all right so we have an accepted vote what are the next steps so the what happens with the docks and the waterfront side will go to the harbor commission and kind of be wrapped into the town dock operations with the rest of the property they have some buildings that go back 100 years or more and so the town board will have to decide what happens with those do they there's actually talk of turning them into housing at least in the short term while they figure this out so potentially like some summer rental housing for employees for businesses in the short term and then there's been talk about well do you move those and repurpose them somewhere or do you just keep them there and sell off the the street facing side of that property so you keep that downtown look without missing teeth and and continue to like maintain a, a bustling like downtown community so that is yet to be seen. I did talk to the town of Gibraltar administrator, and he said, uh, you know, I think one thing that's happening is since they hired an administrator, it's helping them make these decisions without some of the animosity that comes with just like speaking directly to the town board members. You know, it's it's taking that distrust that the town has and putting it into the administrator to be kind of a neutral arbiter to give people information and answer their questions. What's happened in Fish Creek in the past is when people brought questions forward, you would actually literally hear town board members say quite often, well, we've had meetings on that. You should have attended the meeting or we've already discussed this. And it gives a vibe of like a dad saying, I know better than you don't question my decision. And that doesn't create a good environment. And it's an absurd expectation that anybody would attend all of your meetings and just then just know what you know, because why would you have representatives if everybody in the town could just go to every meeting and make the decisions as a collective? So this eliminates some of that animosity that's been kind of built in in the town for a while. Well, it sounds like there is a lot of potential
0: there too. Kind of excited about the idea of both housing in the short term, but also maybe, like you said, not doing that missing teeth thing and, and opening up that area for a couple more businesses. It's yeah. always nice to be able to bring in a couple more businesses to do stuff. I'd rather see new businesses develop than, you know, condos or that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Or even, you know, some people like want the green space and stuff, but is, is a random small open green space in the middle of your downtown the best place to put that? Right. Maybe not. There has been talk, like how do we, in, in the town of I say we. How could they connect the beach parcel to the dock parcel? You know, there's only a few different properties between those two. And obviously buying them all up would be quite pricey. Probably not going to happen. But, you know, I didn't think Sister Bay was going to happen. And I was even on that committee. I didn't think that was anything that was gonna I didn't think they'd have that whole waterfront for 25 years at yeah. least.
0: Yeah. Expensive to buy those, but much cheaper to build like an overpass that goes over top of them.
1: <laughs> well, maybe not an overpass, but they have talked about like, well, could we somehow make a boardwalk along the water or open it up in some way? If you go to Lake Geneva in Wisconsin, you can walk the entire 22 miles around that lake through people's backyards. It's not, it's kind of like official, officially not official, but it's it's public. You can walk the whole lake and nobody, they don't think of it as private property with thou shall not pass. This is my little 12 feet of beachfront and nobody else gets it. You know, that's not... How it operates there in Oregon, you can walk the entire ocean shoreline. It's all public; everybody gets access to it. People can have their waterfront homes; they can build them huge, but that beach, everyone can walk through. How does that? How does that work here? Who owns the water? Well, up to the the ordinary high water mark, it's public. But so you could technically walk like in the water in front of somebody's house, even though some of the property owners would say no. But you can't walk on their land, so to speak. And you can own the beach. But you can own the beach. So people in in Wisconsin, it's you know individual plots, which. In Oregon, and in Lake Geneva, it's kind of like, would you rather have, I get my own very specific 100 feet that nobody can come on, or I get my 100 feet. A few people walk across it, but I also get to walk across everyone else's so i now can have access to walk all the way you know like one of the biggest drivers of property values is actually access to trails and um proximity to those trails and ability to get on that trail from your houses really improves your property value so you can make the case that like me, hmm, maybe it'd be much better instead of having my private chunk it would be much better to everybody have access to all of it with some limitations or something so maybe there's some way to look at it that way yeah i don't know miles that sounds a lot like socialism i know <laughs> no i i agree i think that I, I i would prefer to say that it sounds a lot like being good neighbors yeah that's That's a good way to it sounds a lot like friendliness no i i agree
0: that like hey here's my 10 feet of beach isn't as appealing as i have a thousand feet of beach but so does everybody else yeah although this conversation illuminated to me that i am free to stand in front of people's backyards as long as i'm in the water you can
1: kayak right up to their i'll just hang
0: out there and just like sit and have like, I'll sit on a lawn chair in the water and people are like, hey, get off my property. Like, actually, I am right below the ordinary high water mark. So,
1: <laughs> well, and I don't know, I'd have to look in this. I wonder when the water goes way down, could you technically then walk along the shore on land? I does would. that then become yeah. kind of a riparian right thing? So
0: that is interesting.
1: I do also know
0: that you don't own the airspace above your property. As I learned through, you know, being a drone pilot. Yeah. So this overpass thing is a good idea because... We,
1: yeah, you could do that. Yeah. the air,
0: As long as the air is public, then just go right over top <laughs> of these properties and we'll be good to go. Just follow the mode of the power transmission companies. Yeah. You have a lot of great ideas on this podcast, but I would argue that I have... The best. The best ideas. <laughs> so if anybody wants to get in touch uh, see if we can make some of these things happen, let me know. Hashtag Fish Creek Overpass will be trending on Twitter. <laughs> Miles, thank you for chatting with me about all this cool stuff that's going on. And also the not cool stuff, because we did talk about COVID in the middle. But thanks for talking to me about all the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking forward <laughs> to chatting with you again too. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time. Hey, everybody. It's me. So Miles did some research after we recorded this to figure out some of those questions about uh, who owns what for waterfront and everything like that. And I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is um, you can't just walk on the beach if the water level goes down check with the dnr and they said that as the water level goes down the property owner basically gets that extra beachfront the good news is that uh they also said that if your feet are wet you're pretty much good so if you want to if you want to walk you know down the beach as long as your feet are wet you're good to go and i i think that there should be some sort of rhyme to remember this like if if your feet wet then go get it that's that's what I got for it. Maybe you got something better. Go ahead and email me at Andrew at P-balls if you have a better rhyme for um if your feet wet, go get it. Thanks everybody.